Peace and blessings, beautiful people. This is Amira Rashida, and you're listening to the Transcendent Sound Podcast, a space dedicated to Black and urban music creatives. In this episode of the podcast, I chatted with fellow Turk, Catherine Hooper, a flutist with Baltimore Roots who works in the live music space in Los Angeles. We discussed her childhood roots in the arts, her journey from pursuing music to working in the live music space, and her project, Black Women in Music. We also chatted about some of the lessons she's learned in 2020, the Recording Academy, (laughs) our Baltimore accents, and more. To check out the hour-long conversation we had, make sure to stay tuned. Hello? Catherine! Oh, yes, I just got the, this meeting is being recorded. Yay! Yay! <laughs> but, yes, how have you been? I've been good. Been? I've been good. You know, as well as you can be, all things considered, going on in the world. Like, what Like what a year. Wow. I was like, yeah, 2020 is going to be my year. Like, this is going to be it. And then... <laughs> It was crazy because that whole like March, every weekend I had something planned. Every weekend I had something planned. I was going to a conference and then actually like two or three conferences at the end of March. Mm -hmm. I went to a concert. That's when I saw Lauryn Hill. That was the last outing I had. Yeah. Before everything shut down. Yeah, that was wow. That was nice that your last like outing was a concert and it was Lauren Hill. Was she on time? She was a little late. Okay. She was a little late. I mean, I wasn't expecting her to be on time. Yeah, that's I was, true. That's <laughs> I was worried that um we'd be sitting there until like eleven o'clock waiting for her, which oh, we didn't. God. That's good. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I was gonna say I've heard stories. I have definitely heard stories. So, so it was for um Black Girls Rock Festival. Mm-hmm. And I went that Saturday night. They said that Friday night, she might have did like four or five songs. That's how late she was. That's crazy. But I'm glad they like held her to her time though, where it's just like, well, yeah. your set ends when it ends. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Thank you so much. Yeah. I feel <laughs> like, I feel like. Like your last in-person concert was like way cooler than mine. It's mine. Like it was, it was hella corny, but it was. What fun. was yours? Um, I saw Nelly. Mm. She performed country grammar. I think was that Nelly? Yes, it was Nelly. I'm like I always get confused. I've seen a lot of like there's there's you know like nostalgia is like so big. Like there's such a big market for that right now. Yes. and so I feel like there was a period last year where I just like every act that I ever loved from like preteen years through college I was just like yes I'm going like I saw T-Pain last year that was so much fun yeah no it was definitely Nelly that was the last concert I went to it was February it was Valentine's Day oh wow like yeah it was little you know Galentine's situation I like went for sushi with one of my best friends and then we met another one of our friends at a hotel and we were drinking like on the roof of this hotel. And like one of the bartenders like 
this girl just like fucking loved us so she was like making us drinks and stuff and was just like oh I'm just only gonna charge y'all for like two of the drinks and we're like thanks sis and they were like oh we gotta go to this concert so we like go to the concert and it's Nelly and it was a really fun time and I like made friends at the bar and took a tequila shot with this girl I feel like I was just doing a lot like maybe I just preemptively knew that things were gonna shut down. So I was just like, woo, let me party like I'm 21 again. Ooh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I like, you know, I never regret those moments, but I just more think of like, wow, the last concert that I went to in 2020 was like Nelly. <laughs> wow. Nostalgia for both of us. That's crazy. I don't know if you knew, but I think I did mention it in the podcast, but um the very first song that I had ever sang for an open mic was, of course, at Maryland. Yeah. It, it was X Factor. Yeah. So well, to I then, know. yes. And then to hear that song live was just like, oh. <laughs> 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 like, oh my gosh, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. <laughs> no, you should totally cry. I feel like that is like one of those songs where you hear it and you just instantly like think of someone or like a moment or someone that you like might sing the song to or I don't I feel like I had like breakup playlists and stuff um I feel like it was on at least one breakup playlist I had at some point so oh yeah oh yeah there's always yeah I feel like you you can put yourself into that song pretty easily and just be like okay now I'm weeping it's fine right Oh my gosh. Oh, so let me bring that back. So for those listening, this is Catherine Hooper. <laughs> she is a wonderful, 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 awesome human being. Um, and I got to meet her when I was at College Park. Uh, and she has done so many cool things since I last saw her. Because last time I saw her was at College Park. Funny yeah. enough. Oh my gosh, we're old, JK. <laughs> but no, really, it's been it's been a long time. <laughs> it has been. Oh my god! And, I, and of course, when you when you mentioned country grammar, I was like, "Wow, that was twenty years ago." <laughs> like, actually, they're like, "Wow, that was wow." <laughs> it was a long. It was a long time ago. It was. Oh, wow. It was a very long time ago. Thank you for such a lovely, lovely introduction. I would, oh. I would like to think I've done some cool things. Just a few, just a few. Just a few, yeah. Just a few. You know, few but impactful. They're really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Catherine is from Baltimore. She's based in LA right now, but she is from Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. yeah hey. Yeah. <laughs> And it's funny, I was on Clubhouse the other day mm-hmm. and I was I was speaking uh culture fixed room and they were talking about like good things that was happening to folks during that week or something and I was speaking and someone was like, Amira, I have a question for you. And I was like, Yeah, what's up? And they were like, Are you from Baltimore? And I was like, Leave me alone. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm gonna need you to not come for our accents, okay? And I don't even think I have that deep of an accent. I have one of the most mild accents in terms of all my accents can get. Yeah. 
I was like, is my accent that deep today? Like, I don't, what? Maybe, maybe. I, I get like the opposite where people are just like, oh, really? You're from Baltimore? You don't sound like you're from Baltimore. And I'm just like, I grew up there. Like, my family's not from there. If anything, like, I might sound country sometimes, but... I'm like, no, I don't have a stereotypical Baltimore accent because I don't have like this long lineage of people that are from there. Like that's, I feel like that's literally the only reason why I don't have like a Baltimore accent. If I had like family that was from there or something, or like had been there for a while, there would probably be certain things that I would say that like, oh, she's from Baltimore, like certain words. Cause like my mom is from Long Island and she has an accent when she says certain words, like if you hear her say certain things, then you're like, oh, she's like from Long Island. But then other times you just like won't hear it. And I feel like at this point, like I'm kind of just like used to it. That's what her voice sounds like. But it's not one of those things where you're like necessarily off the bat, like, oh, she's from Long Island. But then she'll say a certain word and you're just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) So I feel like it's kind of like the same thing. I don't necessarily like, say two with the Baltimore accent but I definitely don't I don't say it like everyone else either because I have had heard a couple people just be like oh well you do kind of say two and I'm just like <laughs> right I'm like it's very subtle leave me alone right. <laughs> <laughs> it is very subtle very subtle so I went oh I went to New York to see Robert Glasper mm-hmm. And I think it was the one with Terrace Martin. And I was talking to Terrace Martin. He was like, oh, you from Baltimore. Oh, say two. Say say all these other words. I was like, you gonna leave me alone, Terrace. It's so bad. People were like, say dog. And I'm just like, dog. Oh, my God. And I'm like, I don't say, I, I don't have an accent. If anything, maybe you catch me saying two. And it's like, you can hear it very, if you're trying very hard. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm like some, I feel like I get it sometimes like being out here in LA. Maybe that's like the one word where maybe somebody might pick up on it. But otherwise people are just like, oh, you don't sound like this caricature of what people think a Baltimore accent is. That's all it really is. It's like a caricature of, of the accent where it's like, people are like, oh, it's so dramatic. I'm like, no, it's not that dramatic. But at the same time, like we're used to it. So okay. Right. It's like you hear it all your life and you're just like, I mean, yeah, I guess. I guess yeah. that's an accent. I guess. Maybe. And sometimes I'll like I'll drag out words intentionally, like for mm-hmm. effect. Not to, like I don't normally speak that way, but like on occasion I'll be like, you know, I'm like, dude. <laughs> like I'll just say it. <laughs> I'll just say it. <laughs> folks would like crack up but I'll so you're from Baltimore and you went of course to school the arts mm-hmm. and I think I told you before that I had actually gotten into the school of the arts we would have been in the orchestra or something together because I yeah. definitely got in for instrumental mm-hmm. um you played the flute from what yes I do you remember that correctly? Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get into playing the flute? So I, um, like many children, watched Sesame Street. 
And there was an episode of Sesame Street, or I don't even remember like what the flautist or flutist, whatever you prefer to say, um, was playing with all of the animals and characters of Sesame Street. But there was a man playing the flute and I just thought it was like the coolest thing ever. Um, and I was pretty young, I was like five at the time. Um, and I just like was begging my parents. I was like, I want to do this. I want to do this. I think it's the coolest thing ever. I want to do this. And eventually they got sick of me bugging them about it. And so they, they found um, a teacher that would take on a student that was so young. Cause it's like not usually, I think an instrument that um, people necessarily want to teach that young. Um, also just like it requires a lot of wind and it's like you know how much wind can tiny lungs actually like produce <laughs> and everything so I was just like pretty persistent about it and was glad that my parents found somebody to teach me and that is how I started playing I just got super into that whole world of you know learning how to play flute and just like the whole like pedagogy um, I also sang in a children's choir. Um, I was in the children's choir of Maryland, um, oh. which is a fun fact. There were exactly like four black kids <laughs> when I was in it. I'm not even like, literally, I think there were four black kids and like all of us knew each other because there were so few of us. Like, yeah, it was one of those things where you just like, all right. Um, and I guess it was even kind of like the same when I was playing flute and started to like be in ensembles and stuff like that, where it was like not a lot of black kids or just non-white kids, period. Like there were no black kids, there are no POCs or hardly any. Um, but I absolutely just like loved playing the instrument and played all through I played in elementary school. Um, I was like playing in the band with like the fourth and fifth graders when I was like super small, like, I don't know, like second grade or something like that. Um, played in middle school, which was fun. Um, it was mostly it was fun. This is gonna, I'm gonna sound like a little jerk, but whatever. It was mostly it was fun. Cause like I got to play in the band with like the eighth graders because I was like good enough to do that. So, so it was for me, it was fun. It sucked a little bit because it's like, there's a huge difference between being 11 years old and being like 13 years old. It's only yeah. a couple years, but like your mentality, like between being 11 and being 13. And my thing is like, I was like one of those kids where I was very much like a kid. Like I played with dolls I ran around outside you know I practiced my instrument so that kind of thing like that took over my life in a lot of ways but I remember I would just like always be listening to classical music and stuff like that and would listen to like oldies because that's what my parents listened to but like a lot of the more like contemporary things I didn't know half those songs like when when I was like in middle like in elementary school and it wasn't until like really like middle school that I paid attention to things mainly because I would spend because I went to like a magnet school I went to Sudbrook in Pikesville okay. um, so Sudbrook, uh, magnet school like right by like the Milford Mill train station if you know where that is like mm -hmm. literally around yep. the corner from there um and so I was spending so much time being like in band rehearsal and stuff because we would go to Hershey Park and compete 
Um, and we, yeah, we did that like every year or whatever, like in the spring we'd go compete and I'm like around these kids and they're like 13. And of course they're like listening to like whatever is on the radio and stuff. And I'm just like, okay, so I guess I'm just going to like start listening to all of that more. Um, but yeah, I was like better than most of the eighth graders. (laughs) So that was a whole thing. (laughs) That was a whole thing where I was just like, like one of the youngest people in that band because they didn't call it like eighth grade band they had they gave the ensembles like different names so you weren't necessarily in this band because you were like in eighth grade like most of the people in it were eighth graders but you're also in it because it was like the most advanced band um but I came into middle school being in the most advanced band with like mostly 13 year olds and I'm like a tiny 11 year old (laughs) so it was just like a very (laughs) It was a very interesting experience um, doing that. And then once I, you know, came time for me to go to high school, I wanted to go to school for the arts um, because Carver, which is in Towson, they didn't have a music program. And I think, I think maybe they have one now. I can't remember, but I know at the time, like they didn't have a music program. And so the whole thing with me, like going to school for the arts was just kind of like, my parents were like, how are you going to get there? Blah, 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 blah. Like all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, most kids like took the train and in the beginning, like my mom, especially was like, you're not taking the train. Oh no. Yeah. (laughs) My dad was like, it's fine. There are other kids from the school that like take the train. And basically like, I think it was like by second semester of my freshman year of high school because my mom literally knew that like I had there were like a group of kids that would walk to the train together so I think that's like when she actually felt comfortable and so like one of my parents would like pick me up from the train station like the Milford Mill train station they would drop me at the train station in the morning and riding the train to go to school and like going to going to school like in Mount Vernon and all that stuff like that was fun that was fun to me (laughs) (laughs) I had like so I just feel like I had so much fun being able to do that because in a lot of ways up until that point like my life was you know it was kind of sheltered in a way I was just like you know going to music lessons and going home and I had like my friends that like my parents knew so I would go like to their houses but I wasn't you know having adventures per se Um, so once I was able to like take the train and like be with my friends from school and do all that kind of stuff, like in high school, like that kind of felt like freedom a little bit to me. And I also just felt like being able to go to that school where there are like so many, well, not so many, because it's it's a small school, but there was like this community of other kids who just really were passionate about their art. Mm-hmm. was I think that was really important for me because part of part of my time too like before that in middle school and then again being like you know um in the band with all the older kids and blah 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 blah. like I've in a way kind of felt isolated where I was mm, just like yeah. am I too much of like a dork and like I don't feel like I'm as cool as all these other kids and then going to high school and seeing that like our our homeroom was chorus so everyone who's a music student was in chorus didn't matter if you were a singer, instrumentalist, like whatever, everyone had to be in chorus. And that was our homeroom. 
And I just always remembered and would love you coming in the morning, if you got there before homeroom started, there would always be somebody like playing on the piano and like kids singing all the time. I loved it. I loved it so much. I remember probably like my freshman year, sophomore year, there was like juniors and seniors. There was this one kid, I can't remember his name, but I know that he like played piano in his church. So he would always like every morning be there early and he would be playing and then there'd be other you know, people and they would be singing gospel music or they would just be like doing covers of stuff that was on the radio. And I absolutely loved, like, I just loved that that was like what I was walking into every morning. I love that like people would kind of, you know, as we're like learning about music theory and stuff like that, we'd kind of like try to nerd out and figure out like solfege. So like that whole like do, re, mi, fa, so, left. Like we'd try to like solfege like songs that we knew. Yeah. Um, and just kind of like be, I don't know, like it kind of seems like nerdy, but not really. It just, it was affirming for me to be in a space where there were, there were other people, like there were peers. I had peers that just kind of like had the same brain or like had a similar brain that I did where I was just like, let's get excited about this music thing or oh my gosh, this performance or like, oh, the Grammys, like stuff like that, where I was like, before I didn't necessarily have that. But then when I came to the school for the arts, I was around my peers who kind of like had that same energy and like enthusiasm. So it, it definitely was affirming. And honestly, it was good for like my self-esteem to be around people that were like similar to me in that way. Because I think before that, I kind of felt like, almost like an outcast. Mm, I, I can believe that. I definitely do. Because I was I was like that in middle school until I joined Twigs. And then I got in Twigs and I was just like, this is so awesome. Like, <laughs> and it's so funny when you said like, y'all would do like covers, like you would hear them sing covers and stuff. I would do that when I was at Twigs. Like, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, yes, that's it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it was so good. It was it was definitely just like it was a lot of fun and it was just a really great space to be a teenager for me, I think. Um yeah. I think that had I not had that experience, I don't know if I would have necessarily like felt okay going to Maryland, honestly. Like Maryland was a big school. Yes. And I know that like <laughs> Some yes. people were like surprised when I was like, oh, I'm going to go to like this big state school. And they're like, why are you going to do that? And you went to this small high school. And I was just like, I just want to have like a, like a regular college experience. Like I just want to have that experience and like doing those things. And I think um, because I did, I don't know if you did this, but there was like that overnight visit program where they would like hook you up with like a, like another black student. Um, and I did that. I, uh, I stayed with two girls, they were roommates and they knew each other from high school. Um, so I think they went, I think they went to Poly. I can't remember. They were also from Baltimore that I do remember. Um, and I like had the time of my life on my visit. And so I was just like, oh yeah, I'm going to come here. Like Aww. it totally sold me on that because so much of my life had been going to lessons and doing music. And like, I still wanted to do that, but I think there was a part of me that kind of wanted some more of those like quote unquote like stereotypical like college experiences 
but it was good to know that there was just so much going on at Maryland that you could kind of like weave in and out and like create your own experience. And that's what really like cemented for me, like, okay, I can go. And I know that there's a community of black people there. And I know that there's um, a really great music program. I know that like the arts center, cause I think at like this point, as I was going to college, I knew I didn't want to perform, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And um, that was another thing that kind of like sold me on going to Maryland was like uh, CSPAC, or I think they call it Clarice now, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, like changes wow. the name. <laughs> Don't change something that was already good. Like it's C- right, it's CSPAC, CSPAC forever. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was great to like, have that center there and know like the possibilities of being able to just kind of explore what kind of behind the scenes like arts or music thing that I might want to do and also like the building was beautiful um was like state of the art at its time because I feel like it was fairly new um so I started in 2005 and I feel like it was maybe only a few years old at that point um and so it was just really like it was great to know that I was, you know, could go to this huge university, but also kind of have these different experiences. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because for me, I knew I didn't want to do anything particularly like performance wise either. Mm-hmm. So I was actually a business major at Maryland, funny enough. You wouldn't have thought that. Like, what? I didn't know. I actually, because I was going to say, I was like, I don't think I ever knew what your major was when we were in school. <laughs> this is major because I knew I wanted to do law. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, I didn't connect music and law back then. Mm-hmm. I didn't start connecting it until like a few years ago. And I was like, I should do that. But yes, that was so interesting that you brought that up because I was like, what, what encouraged, well, of course you play flute, you were amazing at flute, what encouraged you not to make it into a career? Um, I think it was a couple of things. One of the things that I had struggled with was as I kind of like continued my education Um, especially as I was getting to the end of high school, I was just kind of like, I don't know if I can spend my career playing music by like dead white guys. Like, why is this? Like (laughs) I started and I I didn't find it as problematic as I did as I like really was like in college and in this whole, because I did end up majoring in music, but um. I think that like even going into the college application process, I was just like, I don't know that I would want to do this. And the whole life of kind of like the orchestral path um, and how competitive it was and, or is still honestly, and just like playing flute and knowing that it felt like there wasn't a space for me in that world. kind of led me to feel like I don't think I want to do this as a career like it was very much like as much as I loved playing and you know all of all of the studying and things that I did and I knew that I like had put so much into it I just there were just certain things about that world that you know even at the age of 18 I was starting to see were problematic to me 
And I kind of felt like, I think sometimes you see something that's problematic, either you decide like, oh, I'm going to use this as a catalyst for change, or you're just going to say like, this isn't for me. And I took the like, this isn't for me route where I felt like I don't see myself in this world. I'm just like, I don't like where, where is my place as a black woman playing this classical instrument where like, you know, all the pedagogy is like based on shit from like dead white men. And I, it's not like I see a whole bunch of like black people playing flute in orchestra. And it's like, is there a place for someone like me to play in an orchestra who also like, I listen to hip hop, I listen to R&B, I listen to rock. I'm like, I listen to like almost damn near everything, honestly. And it's like, how does that like fit into, how, do, how is who I am fit into what I thought that I want it to do. And why do I feel like I need to be something else in order to go after this? And mm-hmm. I'm just like, decide, I'm like, this is a sign that like, I don't need to like go after it in that way. And I think that even honestly, like my time at Maryland, cause I did major in music, like my time in the performance space and going through all of that rigorous training at that level really affirmed what I felt at like 18. Like it affirmed that it was just like, I don't necessarily see a place for me in this world. Um, and, and I know again, that like some people use that as a catalyst for change or to like be that change. But for me, I just kind of also, by the time I got to the end of, you know, all of my performance required requirements for college like I was burnt out I like no longer had a good relationship with playing my instrument like I think that a lot of my time as much as I like loved learning a lot of like the different music courses and things that I took a lot of like the playing experience for me when I was in college just was very rough Mm. Um, add periods where I just like felt like I was misunderstood Mm. and I was burnt out and I got to the end of it and just like did not have the best relationship with something that I had loved doing since I was a little girl so that was like another layer Mm. as well yeah wow so let's 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 bring this to a little bit lighter terms yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry I didn't I didn't mean to take it there no it's perfect it's perfect it's part of your story that's, that's important um so you came from the east coast to the west coast mm-hmm. what took you from the east coast to the west coast um honestly I think that like after I had finished school I was like, okay, I definitely want to like pursue a career in the music industry. Um, When I was like nearing the end of my time in college, I was kind of like, oh, I'm either going to do like arts administration or I'm going to like do like music industry. So I had started to kind of like want to go on that arts admin path and was wanting to like intern at like the Kennedy Center or Wolf Trap and stuff like that. And like, I only had okay grades in college, honestly which when I say that to people, sometimes they're like, really? And I was just like, listen, there was just, 
there was there was a lot about college that gave me anxiety, which translated into me like not doing well on exams. So (laughs) like if, if all of college could have, if all my grades would have just been me writing papers, I'd have been fine. Oh yeah. Like if all I had to do was like write papers and just show up to the classes, I, I would have like damn near had a 4-0, but Mm -hmm. taking exams and all that stuff, like just was not my jam at all. Um, and so like those internships, they really wanted you to like, they wanted to pick people that they felt were the cream of the crop. So you had like, you know, the best grades and you had these like stunning letters of recommendations, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh man, maybe I should just like go in the direction (laughs) of like the recorded music industry. Um, cause I just like specifically remember thinking like, oh, is there a way for me to do both? And I have interest in both. And like, I have skills that lend itself to like arts admin. I have skills that lend itself to recorded music. And it was almost just like the decision was made for me in a way that like, mm-hmm. there were just things that started to come into play in my life that were like, you should pursue like the music industry and like entertainment as opposed to like going the arts admin route. Um, so after I graduated, I worked at Ramshead Live. Um, I was like a marketing intern. And then I also worked, I did like basically every job that you could do in a venue except for like the box office. So I did like security. I did like access control. So like scanning people's tickets in. I sold merch. I like did street team, like literally all of those things. Um, and then also I worked as a temp for the DC chapter of the recording Academy. And that's like really where I got like deep into like just all of the kind of like happenings with the music industry and was able to, um, you know, find a mentor and my boss at the time, um, she was the executive director, Wendy Cherry. And she kind of just like took me under her wing. It also gave me some tough love because listen, you think you know everything when you're like 21 years old and you don't. (laughs) And so you do, you need somebody who like (laughs) sees enough in you to be like, I'm going to need to call you out on your bullshit. Like I, I want more for you. And I know you want more for yourself too. So you need to like do better. I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for Uh, (laughs) my whole life. Right. (laughs) Get me back together in the the same time. Okay. Okay. (laughs) exactly so I think like that experience kind of lended itself to me thinking more about LA Um, and I had an opportunity to come out to LA for the first time and work as a camp counselor for Grammy camps like the Grammy Foundation they do a camp for high school students who want to pursue careers in the music industry and I did a really crappy audition video, <laughs> but had some really great references. Now I'm like, girl, my video was terrible. Like, it oh my looked God. Bad. It looked, it was not, it looked, I filmed it in my like apartment at courtyards in like a, in like a corner somewhere that didn't look crazy. Um, <laughs> hey. <laughs> on, like, on like my digital camera. Um, remember those? Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> and it was like not a good video. Like I later found out like after I got accepted and like you know got the offer and had flown out to LA, I remember like the one of the executive directors of the Grammy Camp program was just like, "Oh yeah, you're the one with like the bad video." And I was 
But I got that job though. Ooh. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I did. So that was my that was my first time in LA. And I think for me it was just like super cool to be able to go out to LA and see everything and experience it and and be like, I like came back from that and was just like, I'm moving to LA. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to move to LA. Um, and I almost like in retrospect, I'm just like, I, I love how sure of myself I was in that moment. Like, it took me maybe like a year or so after that to actually move to LA. But I just love that. I was just like, I'm going to move to LA. Like, this is like what I need to do. Yeah. Um, so I did end up moving out here and I worked very briefly, like six weeks at a talent agency um I will not name the agency but it's one of the big ones and I got fired (laughs) which is a whole story (laughs) in and of itself I honestly like people get fired and it's a thing that happens and I think that like with you know that world specifically and just like with Hollywood and the industry specifically like you could get fired just for like having a bad day and long story short that's like pretty much what happened because I got fired for having a bed it just like was not a good day for me and I got fired and that was like honestly pretty devastating but it was also like nine and a half years ago so (laughs) so every everything turned out fine and I am still I've still been here it definitely was like a windy road to remain in LA and I think that's a lot of people's stories when they are you know really trying to go after a path that is like non-traditional where you just yeah you do a lot of things I think like to a lot of people it looks like you don't know what you're doing but like who knows what they're doing anyway um and you you take a lot of risk I think that like that was the one thing that I in retrospect really feel like helped me keep momentum was like I'm just going to take risks um, over and over. I just remember like the day I got fired and I came home and my roommate was like, what happened? I was like, I got fired. She was like, oh, so are you moving home? And I was like, I don't know. And I called up one of my friends who, um, we went to Maryland together and, you know, we had only like known each other, like pretty, like socially, um, and weren't like super close, but like, I didn't know that many people when I moved to LA. So she was just like, okay, you're a terp, I'm a terp, like your family. So I called her up and I was just like, oh my God, I got fired. And she was just like, look, you need to come up with a plan. <laughs> like, what are, like, what are you going to do? And she like emailed me this list of like all of these like temp agencies. And she was like, tomorrow, like, listen, you can be sad tonight, tomorrow. You need to call these temp agencies. You need to email. These are people that I worked with when I was doing the temp agency thing. You need to dust off your resume. You just need to like start knocking on doors. And I was like, all right, okay. All right. I'm going to do this. <laughs> I'm going to do this. <laughs> I mean, I really just wanted to like just cry for days, but I literally like had no time to do that. I had one day, one day. Girl. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah <laughs> definitely not not in LA definitely no not. definitely not definitely not and like my I remember my parents like 
my dad was just like, cause he works for the state. He was just like, let's see if I can get you a state job and you can come home. My mom was like, what are you going to do? How are you going to get home? She was like saying like the complete opposite of my dad. She's like, how are you going to get home? And I was like, I don't know. She's like, do you have money to come home? And I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> so what you about to buy me a plane Right. <laughs> exactly. You're picking me up right. from the airport? <laughs> she was just kind of like, I'm going to need you to figure this out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I'm glad you figured it out. <laughs> Thanks. Me, too. I'm glad I figured it out, too, because, uh, you know, I don't know. I didn't. I think like also my pride kind of like pushed me forward where I was like, oh my gosh, it hasn't even been that long that I've been out here. And I'm like, I don't want to come back home with my tail in between my legs. Like, yeah, I'm about to make it big here. Well, not even big here, but like, yeah, I'm about to do what I want to do in this whole new city that's away from home. And then you, you know, get that little reality check. Oh yeah, I got my early in the game. So fast, so fast. Um, definitely humbled me. Um, it helped me build up that thick skin that everyone says that you need. Um, yeah, it definitely helped me build up my thick skin. Um, and kind of just like I don't know, be clever, like be. I don't want to say like a hustler. Cause I like hate that whole, I hate like the whole idea of hustle culture, but like, oh God. But, yeah, I <laughs> guess that was kind of what, well, one of my old roommates that I met out here would just be like, you have like street smarts. And I'm like, no, I don't. She's like, no, I feel like you're always just like finagling something or doing something or whatever. Um, I don't know. Cause I would like work events and stuff like that. And just like end up with a bunch of free crap or somehow like, you know, come back to the apartment with like bottles of rum and stuff like that. Like just like <laughs> random things that you're just like, I would prefer to be coming back with more money, but like, here's okay. some rum. <laughs> here's some rum, let's drink it. Cause God knows I don't have money to be buying bottles right now. And this was free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Oh my gosh. It's funny. You mentioned that you worked with the Grammys, the Recording Academy. Mm-hmm. And you know how I feel about the Recording Academy. I'm like, hey, you guys, be involved, okay? <laughs> Get involved. <laughs> Don't be that person talking about, oh, enough for us anyway, blah, blah, blah. No. <laughs> so, I know you don't have, I don't think you had experience in the actual award side but yeah not really but I'm sure you've you know talked to people on the award side mm-hmm. what's a common misconception that people have about the Grammys um it's not true I would say the biggest misconception is that it's literally just the award show um like it is a whole organization it's a members membership based organization that does work to serve music creators um and has you know resources um in that way and I think like another one too is just that the awards are a popularity contest Mm -hmm. um they 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 aren't exactly but you know in a way they kind of are there's 
there's the whole like if you think about how much music comes out in a year and that whole process of even getting to a nomination and how much music has to be sifted through for people to even vote like who gets nominated mm-hmm. in a way some of it does end up being a little bit of like who is most visible who did the best PR campaign um and so that part of it I definitely understand is frustrating um but also at the same time I think that almost every year there's moments where there's an artist that gets a nomination and you're just like yes like they deserve this like I'm so happy for this I'm like I'm super excited about like the nominations that Brittany Howard got this year and Kate Trinata. And I know that like the whole, I think Kate Trinata's best new artist nominee, right? Yes. Which is odd for me, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I feel like that one is weird. And like, I still don't fully understand best new artists. Like a lot of it has to do with like, is this someone that was relatively unknown that ends up having like a banner year? And so now people know them and they're in the public consciousness. I'm just like, how do you measure that? That's so subjective. Yeah. Um, but I'm still excited for Kate Trinata. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I'm also excited for Emily King. Yeah. I was like, <gasps> yay! <laughs> she deserves. She deserves. <laughs> yes. I'm like a little bummed that Chloe and Holly didn't get more yeah. nominations because yeah. I feel like this was like that was this has been their year like 2020 has been their year yeah and I I'm glad that they got nominations of course but like I want I personally wanted more nominations for them just because to have put out an album during this time period and for them to have been able to really kind of like break through the noise of this year to have an album that really you know in some ways like comforted and then also provided an escape for a lot of people and they were able to like do promo and stuff like that and like you know none of it was traditional but they were everywhere and that's such a big deal to do that in a time where there's no touring there's no like traditional type of like press events and award shows and listening parties and all that kind of stuff and they're just like performing do it on every single morning show on their tennis court on and the it tennis amazing. court it looked mm-hmm. amazing yeah every single time yeah it was like a, a new setup every single time mm-hmm. yeah. <sighs> yeah so I'm like I'm excited yeah. for them um I'm excited for them I'm cheering for them. A lot of discussion was around no women <laughs> in the R&B category. Yeah. I think it was best album, best R&B album. I believe so. I feel like it's, it's a, R&B is weird for, for the Grammys. I don't know if they ever really truly get it right in terms of like the balance of how R&B is now. Mm-hmm. Um, RB in general is just in a weird space. It is. I don't I don't agree with people who say that RB is dead. Not at all. I I don't think that it's dead. I think that a lot of what is being pushed to the public 
is not necessarily rooted in the traditions of the genre. Right. And what is popular right now is taking precedent over other things that people are doing that are like, you know, traditional to the genre or actually are a new interpretation that isn't necessarily like heavily rooted in hip hop. Not that there's anything wrong with like that part of R&B as well, but I feel like there has been for a while too much of the like, okay, well, let's make this kind of like trap and be thing because this is what everyone's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And like, let's, yeah, like let's do that and, and prioritize a soundscape over a soundscape with lyrics, with vocals. It's more like, I feel like, you know, in terms of like what's popular in R&B or like what's being pushed, a lot of it is just like a mood, which is fine. Like I'm all, I'm all for like a mood, but I also, (laughs) I also am just like, that can't be like the only thing that's being pushed. And I think that it's hard because there, there's, there's so many people putting out music. There's so much music that comes out, like all the time and so you know the more accessible that recording has become to people the more music comes out and like I think you know a lot of the industry in some ways has been democratized which I think is great but I also feel like the industry overall isn't necessarily keeping up with those changes And I think that's also a reflection of just even like the political state of this country where it's like, there are things that not to like go there, but it's like, (laughs) I can can easily draw parallels where it's just kind of like, this is very much in line with like what we're seeing happening in the country politically, where I think that a lot of the people that are currently in power don't necessarily reflect what the direction that our country is going in and what it should be going in. And I think there's, you know, people talk about like, oh, the country's so divided and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yes, it is. It has been for a while. And I think that part of it is because we're having this moment where there are a lot of people that are stuck in old ways and that's who they are. And they've been the people in power for so long. And they realize that they're at some point going to be outnumbered by millennials and gen z and gen x and mm-hmm. like you know everyone that's in gen x isn't necessarily like the people that are thinking in that way of like the old guard either right um like even though they're older i don't want to say old because i'm just like oh my god that's gen x people are not old. i sound like ages right now sorry but like even though they're <laughs> You know, even though I guess they're more mature than maybe a Gen Z person doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, because they're at a certain point in their life that their political reviews or political views are going to reflect what, you know, like boomers political review or political views were when they were at that point in their life. Like that's not where things are. And so I think there's like this kind of like discourse between people who want to hold on to the old things that aren't working and people who are like, this is, you know, this is the current state of the world. Right. 
You just had to bring that up, didn't you? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like the best analogy, honestly, that I can think so. of <laughs> as it pertains to just like how, I don't know, how like R&B is specifically, where it's just there, there are people that are still doing the music that's like rooted in tradition and there yes. are people that are more experimental yeah. and then you know, some of it just to be frank is just garbage. Um, so, but that's like, you can say that across every genre of music, but I think that like where the problem comes in is that there is too much emphasis on what's hot right now. And that's where a lot of that kind of like push and pull comes in. Mm -hmm. And it's like not necessarily like leaving space for, everyone who isn't doing what's considered hot right now right and the grammys are kind of rooted in traditional so of course people who are not that in that pocket of traditional r&b they're like well they're not doing that like they're outdated like like they're they're in that pocket of traditional so it's yeah this is yeah, I think it's tough. I think, you know, with the Grammys specifically, there, from what I've seen and heard is that there's a lot of work that's being done to broaden their membership base. Um, and I, I think that that's really what is going to kind of decide, and this is just me like speaking on like an outsider perspective, of course, you know, in order to get the organization to be reflective of what the professional like recording industry looks like now and what it'll look like moving forward is that they need to do more to call people in and call people in that don't necessarily have that traditional experience but are doing incredible things and I know that they've kind of like you know switched from my understanding, like they've switched membership to be like a recommendation process and, and more like how the Academy is like um, the, like the Oscars, how that organization is. Mm -hmm. And I think that the only problem there is again, you're like introducing gatekeepers and that's where a lot of the problems come in, frankly, in terms of actually trying to like diversify a base is that you're again, adding gatekeepers and stuff, but you're adding gatekeepers without calling in people that maybe wouldn't be called in otherwise, because they don't necessarily know these gatekeepers and they don't know what's accessible to them. So I think that there's probably some work to do there in terms of just getting people not only educated about like what the whole process is to be a member but like convincing people that it's something that they want to do and if it's something that they want to do but they aren't quite ready saying like here are tools Mm -hmm. if this is what you want to do so we didn't even talk about what you do now oh we did not we have not (laughs) Actually, two things. One, yeah. uh, you do a lot of work with the live performance space. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, let's talk about that. What do you do with AEG? Yeah, so I am an account executive at AEG Presents. Um, I work on uh, partnership activation for our music festivals. Um, so basically what that means is that, you know, when you have different sponsors and partners that come in for the festival, salespeople, they make a deal and it goes to contract. And then I'm on the team that is responsible for actually executing the things that are in that contract. So um, it is basically like a culmination of probably everything I've ever done professionally thus far. Um, there, I feel like there's so many random things that I've had to do in my job or that have been part of my job that are like, oh, this is related to this thing that I did. Like there are different, there's so many different touch points, I think, that involves sponsorship when it's done well um, and that are go beyond just like, oh, this logo is going to be on an iMag at a stage or like, oh, this logo is in an app. Like it, I guess it's like more integrated than that. Um, and there are like a lot of different touch points. So I do have to kind of like call on experiences that I've had with those different touch points um, and just like interacting with people and I guess like the easiest way to sum it up is that basically it's like account management, whereas like we have a lot of accounts that we manage concurrently in a normal year. This has not been a normal year by any Ooh. means. <laughs> at all. So, oh gosh, how have you all navigated that space now that there's nothing? Yeah. essentially <laughs> going so, on. So a lot of what we've been working on is just kind of thinking about how we can be more efficient once everything is up and running again. Mm -hmm. um, there's definitely been, you know, a lot going on in terms of digital events and that isn't a space that we've necessarily stepped into right now. But definitely have just been doing a lot to be more efficient when we're running up and running again. And also just kind of thinking about what going to a festival or to a concert or to a sporting event will look like post pandemic, um, which is that's like a hard thing to imagine. And it kind of like changes yeah. every day. But, you know, at some yeah. point, um, knock on wood, some point next year. Um, some point. <laughs> right, speaking in an unofficial capacity, of course. But um, definitely, I personally am very hopeful that at some point next year, we'll, we're going to get back to it and people will be able to, you know, go back to live events. But there's always that possibility that it's just not going to, I wouldn't say not going to look the same, but I think that like people's behaviors might be different. And so it's more of like accounting for that. Like how are people going to behave um, post-pandemic? Because we already know that like people definitely want to be back in arenas and in venues and at festivals. Like, listen. Right, exactly. I, I, same, 
same. I'm, I'm ready. I am ready. Yeah, I was uh, like, girl, I was really like hyped because I was finally going to go to Roots Picnic. I was oh finally going to go. And then it was like, no, we're going to push this to August. And then now they're like, no, we're just going to do it next year. And I'm just like, I don't know. exactly exactly so definitely (laughs) just thinking about those things um but I also just think like more on a personal level and just like within my own kind of like community and sphere of influence as it pertains to like my creative friends like my musician friends my friends who also work in the live space um we're all just really I think trying to be more of a community not that we weren't before but I think that this time especially because so many of us are either not working at all or working in a reduced capacity that you get to a point where you realize that like having community and being in community with people is very important to your overall survival Mm -hmm. um there are definitely like a lot of venues all over the country and really all over the world that are in danger of not, you know, being open when we return. There are a lot of musicians who were prior to the pandemic making a living off of touring and everything like that and aren't able to do that right now. And so those, just on a more personal level, like those are things that I think about a lot, um, just in terms of like what can be done because obviously like, our government's not doing anything to, to help that. And, and I think that that's like a really important thing, not only to think about, but just to be in community with other people with, whether that's just like lending resources or talking to people and seeing how they are like emotionally and spiritually um, supporting friends that are creating right now, like whether that's just like sharing something they did or knowing that like you have a skill that you could help them, your help them like promote or actually like do whatever it is that they're seeking to do where it's like, you know, maybe in normal cases, I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to charge someone for this. But like, I know my friend and I are both in the space where it's like, we're not working that we used to. And like, how can we help each other and how can we, provide resources to each other so that when things are going again like we'll still actually like have skin in the game and we'll still be here and we'll still like be okay like emotionally and mentally that's like definitely a thing that um has been a big focus for me as well this year and I think for a lot of people is that like this time has just been really rough in terms of like just your emotional state and like your spiritual state and maybe not having the same social interactions that you would if we weren't in a pandemic and how that can like affect you. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with folks who do a lot (laughs) for a living, (laughs) like, like you're constantly on the move and then a pandemic just shuts everything down. So now you're forced to be still and you're like, what is this? Right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I definitely like full transparency struggled with that. Still struggle with it a little bit, but like really struggled with it in the beginning in terms of just like, we were getting ready to, you know, do Coachella 
I was getting ready to go be in the desert for a month to do Coachella and do stagecoach and had very much like, you know, I plan my life around this quote unquote busy season that I have. And, um, and to have all of that come to a grinding halt and not really know when it was going to resume and what that was going to look like was just personally very hard for me because I think that I hadn't really realized it until everything got quiet. I tied up a lot of my own worth in how busy I was Mm -hmm. and what I was working on and what I was working towards and what I was doing. And I knew that like, I was okay, but I was like, okay, in a very vague sense. Like I was okay and I was happy, but it was in like this very like vague, almost superficial sense where I was like, okay, I feel like I'm okay because I have purpose because I'm doing something all the time and I'm working towards something all the time. And (laughs) when you get to a point where that stops, it's kind of like you have to reevaluate everything. And it's like, is that really purpose? Like, is that really, you know, what your mission statement is for your own life is just to be like, okay, I'm validated because I'm busy or I have things to do that I deem important. And that's not, that's not it. And that's also just like not how to live your life. So I did honestly like struggle with that in the beginning because it just felt like all the plans that I had for myself and for my year were gone. And um, I just think even, you know, in, in this industry, especially, it's just like, you're only as good as your last job kind of. Mm. That's a lot of like the mentality. It's like, what's the last thing you worked on? And Mm -hmm. you kind of get judged off of that. And that thinking is like, one, it's just not very healthy. Yeah. Um, Yeah, not very healthy. And two, it's just like, you know, we should be thinking more of like, are you an enjoyable person to be around? Like, are you a good person to work with? Do you consider your teammates and your colleagues when you're working are you you know connected in that way because honestly it's just like I don't want to work with you for 12 hours if you're just like a miserable person it's terrible and you're just gonna spread all your miserable energy to everyone else and it's just like if that's (laughs) that's how you are (laughs) and that's what you place like you're your value and it's going to be so hard because it's like you know doing all of this work and especially like working on all these festivals and stuff like it can be really grueling and there's like you work long hours and you are you know in the heat or you're just in a tiny office trailer for hours upon and like it like it parts of it are very fun but there are also parts of it that can be very trying and it's just like if you're not in a space to protect your peace and also just bring good energy to people that you're working with under stressful situations like you're either going to burn out or everybody's going to hate you both of those things are bad so talk about ag but black women in music can we talk (sighs) yes We can talk about it. We can talk about it only because I say only because. We can talk about it only because. 
only because I am working on one, just kind of like getting things going again, but two, expanding the scope of what I'm doing. Um, so I guess like backstory, I started, I started it, I guess two, no, was it last year? Yes. Because I forgot that 2020 was this year. (laughs) It's like February February of 2020 seems like it was another year. Yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we had the pre COVID part of the year, which was very short. And then we have all of this. This is its own separate year. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. But um, so last year, 2019, we <laughs> I just had an idea to like do something for Black History Month. And I wanted to like focus on black women and music because I'm a black woman in music and um kind of like wanted to tell stories of black women in music. So I just like researched some women did like some quick little IG posts with like a quote and did like a caption I was like okay cool um and then I was like I think I just want to do more for next year and it should be like a whole thing um and I kind of had gotten that idea because like for the last like three or four posts that I did in 2019 I reached out to some friends of mine um who are also black women who work in music and those posts were like the most well-received I think because it's like oh I'm like showing people that people know and then also like those women were sharing that like oh someone's like posting about me and everything and I was like I think this is a more interesting angle to kind of like talk to people and do that and have it be kind of about people that I know or about people that are coming up with me or are a little bit further along than me um, that those are like more, not more, but like those are stories that maybe aren't told as often or that you don't see told as often. So that was like my undertaking for 2020. And I do have a few interviews that I hopefully um, pending like, you know, approvals from the subjects and everything that I w- will want to get up before the year ends. And then looking to 2021, I really don't necessarily want to wait for Black History Month to start, like, one, talking to women and two, like, profiling them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure if I'll do, like, the same kind of, like, long, not long form, but, like, interview type of things. Like, I really like doing those, but also that was a larger undertaking than I thought it was gonna be when I like thought of it um right it's like it's definitely a lot I don't think I realized it was but I absolutely like loved every conversation that I had so I'm just kind of thinking through what that'll look like what the next iteration of it will look like um but I want it to be more of like a continuous thing and so not relegate it just to February or even to June when it's Black Music Month. Um, I just want to to kind of like be, you know, putting those out, like doing that and then also doing a playlist. That was like the last thing that I did, which was in June, was doing like a, a Black Joy playlist, which was um, in honor of both Juneteenth and Black Music Month. Um, I just put together like a playlist of mostly women there were some men on there but mostly women and kind of songs that were more fun and and joyful and kind of like celebrating 
black music and not because uh, you know the state of the world and the state of this country in June was very much heavy and emotional and um, yeah. a lot of darkness but I wanted to kind of like find some joy so I had fun putting that playlist together um, I'm working on a year-end playlist so that I know for sure will be a thing <laughs> that'll <laughs> that'll come out in the next couple of weeks um, and then just again, looking to the future, I really want to focus on telling stories of Black women in music like all year round and not having it be a February thing um, only. I think that also just kind of like takes some of the pressure off of me too, because this is more of like a passion project. Yeah. And I'm one of those people who like will have really big ideas. And by, I think like, I don't sometimes always think through the execution, like how late, I want to say like almost like labor intensive it'll be, but also just because I have like a certain standard that I have for things that I do. It's just like, I almost paralyze myself because I'll be like, this is not up to the standard that I have for myself. And then it just like, you know, I see, yeah, I'm like, you're making the face. So, you know, you know, you know. <laughs> Um, and so I very much think like this year was about rest and recovery from the hustle mentality that I was living in, in that space mm -hmm. and moving into next year, it's just more about like, just doing things, like just do them, just, um, potentially opening myself up to fail in public. <laughs> Girl, that was 2020 for me. <laughs> for me because look the podcast came out this year and then I put out the little EP of song covers which of course like took me all the way out of my covers and I was like I cannot do this you guys <laughs> I don't want to do this because I'm a perfectionist I don't want y'all to hear me with these struggle vocals but it was received well so that's how you just got to begin yeah you just exactly. have to begin and then improve on the design as you go and that's what I'm realizing. Uh, yeah, definitely. Oh, I definitely understand. Yes, yeah. definitely. Go ahead. Put out everything Black women and music related. Go ahead and do it. Just throw it out there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm just going to get it out there. I just, um, I think too, after, you know, like you're on Clubhouse as well. So you kind of like know, um, well, you know, Clubhouse a little, little crazy right now, but also there's still still pockets of goodness. <laughs> there's still pockets of goodness in there. And I think that one of the things that I this is that there are just so many um, amazing Black women that I just kind of like, you know, started following and like networking with um, and, and getting to know in the space. And like, those are I mean, those are the women that I wanted to talk to. I very much just want it to be a space where um, people can see themselves in other people's stories yes. and see that like, you know, maybe I'm here at whatever point in my career, but this is like, this is something that's attainable for me and right. that everyone's journey looks different. Um, you know, what everyone chooses to do and how they go about it looks different. But, you know, just because it's someone that you might 
not know doesn't mean that their story isn't any less um, important, that those are still like very important stories to tell. And I just like, I want to be a part of telling those stories. I think, um, you know, like overall, that's kind of what I've always loved about music is that it's like a form of telling stories Mm. Um, and kind of like, it's, you know, a tradition of telling stories and, you know, some music is for fun, but even like that fun is a story. Like if someone were to put in, put on hot in here, like you're going to think about like all the times that you listened to or heard hot in here. And like, maybe you were getting ready to go to a party. Maybe you were at a party and like that in itself is a story. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, you know, I love stories as much as I love music. And this is a really great way to kind of like merge those things. So everyone's doing so many different things that are completely different that you should know about. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that people don't realize also that like the industry is so large. Yeah. That there are so many different facets of like, I didn't even know that my job was a job until I was working in it. <laughs> Like, I didn't know that that was, like, a thing. Um, And it was almost, like, it almost just seemed like this kind of, like, divine coming together of, like, everything that I had done previously to the point that I was just, like, I'm so glad that I was, like, led to this path. And sharing the different paths that different women, especially Black women, have taken within the music industry, I think, is important. Um, because one, it lends visibility to all of the different opportunities that there are to work in this industry, if that's what you want to do. And then two, it just also like adds visibility to Black women, period. Yeah. Um, which I just really think is is super, super important. I think it's important to uplift voices of black women of all women but I think especially of black women and I say that as a black woman um to just know that there are a lot of opportunities and there are really just like beautiful stories of what people are doing in terms of like music that they're creating or projects that they're working on or as tour managers and starting nonprofits and and doing all those things within the space and and doing things that maybe you don't necessarily always see black women there but like we're there girl we are there (laughs) we're definitely there we're like everywhere everywhere (laughs) we're everywhere everywhere. we're We're up front we're behind the scenes over here on the side yeah we're everywhere. Everywhere. everywhere everywhere yeah I feel like you know in the live space it's not something where like I necessarily always saw a lot of black women but I would always like find other black women yeah so even though I didn't necessarily always see us I would always like find us like that would always happen or we would find each other and I think mm-hmm. that's a lot of it too that I've been very fortunate to kind of just have a network of women and have a network of 
black women, brown women, just literally like all women throughout my career. Um, and that's been really impactful for me just as a woman to see that. And so I think that like part of my way to like give back to the women who have poured into me is by like telling these stories. Mm. Wow. Yes, Catherine, yes. <laughs> I didn't mean I to like get all philosophical, no. but I just feel like it's like a... <laughs> No, because it's it's so important though. Like when when I saw that you were creating it into like an actual website, and then started like sharing interviews, I was like, "Yes, <laughs> yes, Catherine, yes, we need more of this." <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I definitely, yeah. I want to keep it going. I'm. You know, I, I, again, I really just think it's important and I want to keep it going and I want to, yeah, I just want to like tell more stories. I think that's like probably the only thing that I would love more than music or as much as just telling people's stories or hearing people's stories. It's such, I don't know, it's, it's such like a, an old kind of like art form, like storytelling. Mm-hmm. And it's like changed and evolved, especially in these digital times um, and has been used as a tool to, you know, convince you to buy things, but can also <laughs> can also just be used as a tool like in in the original way as well, just to communicate and relate to people um, on a really like personal level. The podcast has become a really cool way for people to like think back on like what they've done and be like, wow, I did a lot. Or like, wow, I did this. Oh, that was oh, that was cool. <laughs> so I, I definitely understand about like wanting to help uh, tell stories. And for me, for this particular conversation, I was like, you know what? I haven't talked to anybody who is not actively being a creative, you know as a, like a performance artist. So mm-hmm. it's, it's always important to hear stories from, you know, different spheres of creativity. Yeah. So I'm so happy we got the chat. Me too. <laughs> I'm so happy that you reached out to me to chat with you and to share space and be part of your podcast and what you're doing in terms of just like telling stories and having creatives talk about what they're doing. Um, and also just like highlighting people from Baltimore because um, that's something that I've just kind of like been getting back into recently, yeah. but I don't know as much about the creative scene in Baltimore anymore. Like I, I feel like I get bits and bobs because I like follow you on socials and everything. So that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just like being in that room when I was in that room was helpful as well because um I don't know. It's just like, it's just good to know what's going on back home. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't ever want to be like so far removed from it mm-hmm. that I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know what people are doing. I have no idea. Blah, 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 blah. Listen, cause I, I will never be from LA. I don't care if I end up being here like 25 years. Like I will never be from LA. 
<laughs> if I end up being here 25 years, that means that I've lived in LA longer than I lived in Baltimore, but I'll still never be from LA. So <laughs> no, I'm, from I'm from Baltimore. But you've been right, out I'm, here for like 30 years. So I'm from Baltimore. So, right, exactly. I'm, <laughs> I'm from Baltimore. Always gonna be from Baltimore. So so that means I need to know what's going going on back home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes it's difficult for me to stay in the loop because there's so many different pockets of things that's going on. So of course I'm with, I speak to this pocket. I know a couple people from that pocket over there and then this pocket over here. And then like something will happen with this particular pocket. And it's a lot going on that I forget about the other pockets. Like, so it's, yeah, it's a lot going on, but I'm really happy that, you know, I'm at least in tune with some of the things that's going on. Mm-hmm. And luckily, like people from other pockets, I like Pete, and I'm like, oh, that's going on. So, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, it's yeah. Baltimore's creative scene is really, it's, it's popping more than, you know, people give it credit for. And I'm really excited to see what's going to come out of all of the things that's happening right now. But, I'm glad I'm helping you stay abreast of things because yes, no, girl, I appreciate it so much because you're like on top of it always and know all the things. So hopefully whenever I am able to actually make it back home, then we can catch up in person. We can go see some music. Yes. <laughs> I feel like I don't really do that when I come home either. Like it's very much like, you know. Mm-hmm. mostly like seeing family seeing a few friends but um I feel whenever I'm able to come back home like I'm probably just gonna stay home for a minute so I got time like I'm I'm going to make the time I, I need to do like a a big like east coast trip basically <laughs> pretty much just go up and down coast and yeah back. pretty much need to go up to New York <laughs> I didn't get to go to New York this year either so mm. didn't yeah, I miss that too yeah Ugh. listen I'm ready I'm literally just about to be up and down the the east coast (laughs) up and down oh thank you so much Catherine this is awesome thank you I really appreciate you inviting me to join you today and I'm glad that we got to do this chat thanks for listening to this episode of the transcendent sound podcast Thanks again to Catherine for being the guest for this episode. To read more about the episode, where to find Catherine on the internet, and to listen to her curated playlist for this episode, check out the extensive liner notes at transcendingsound.com forward slash podcast. Also, make sure to check out the podcast on either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. And if possible, share the podcast or leave us a great review. It helps the family grow. If you would like to find us on social media, we're on Twitter at Transcend Sound and on Instagram at Transcending underscore Sound. And as always, thank you so much for listening.